0: Chapter 9 of Daniel is mainly a prayer. And it's the prayer that I want to look at. And it seems to me it's really relevant for where we are in liberty at the moment. It begins by setting the scene. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, Amid, by descent, who was made ruler over the, the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. It's a moment of expectation. Uh, m- most of you, I should think in here, remember the year 1994. I myself have lived m- almost my entire life under apartheid. That, as I grew up, was the norm for me. That's just how things were. And then as I grew a little bit more mature in my thinking, I began to ask questions. But why is it that way? Why is it that some people around me live a better life, a more privileged, advantaged life than others? And then as I grew a bit older, I began to use judgment and began to say, there's something wrong here. And then came, I can remember it well, the day in 1990 when President de Klerk announced the abandonment of apartheid. It was the abandonment of uh, of a system I'd lived with throughout my life. And now there was to be something new. It, it, It became, as it were, a year of expectation. What's going to happen now? How's it going to be? A year of expectation. And so it is for for Daniel. Daniel was one of those who had been taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian emperor. And now, he and his sons have been overthrown. Babylon was beaten. It's gone. What happens now? Who is this This Darius, the mead. What sort of a guy is he? Are we going to have cruelty? Are we going to have efficiency? What's going to happen? Something's going to happen. There's an expectation that something new is going to take And this is backed up by the fact that uh, that Daniel had been reading the prophets. Can I commend them to you? They're worth reading. And had discovered that Jeremiah had been told by the Lord that the exile would last for 70 years. And uh, Daniel began to run through his fingers, counting, and discovered that 70 years was up. So, what's going to happen now? Are we going to be able, allowed to go back? Are there going to be improvements in our lives? Where are we? Expectation. Now I actually believe that that's where liberty is and I've thought that for some time now. That we actually are living in a place of expectation. Uh, Some months ago somebody said that they felt that liberty was pregnant. Liberty was about to begin a new thing and it's been happening around us. There's talk now amongst when uh, when um, when we get together about the fact that there are more people in this hall than there were when we started. I have noticed certainly that there are more cars outside. What's God doing? What is God doing here? And that's, that's, what, that's where Daniel is in this chapter. What is God doing? What's God doing with us? What's God doing around us in the context in which we are placed? Actually, come to think of it, who is God anyway? I, I was very interested that this morning, this very morning, we went out to, to, to pray there and Celia began by asking that very question. She said, we need to think, know uh, who God is. What, what can we expect of him? And so Daniel goes and asks God who he is. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And we'll come to that later. But will you notice that to know God is going to require confession. How much is confession a part of your spiritual life? how much is it part of the spiritual life of liberty as a congregation? What is confession? Well, let's look at God first. Because that's we ought to look. That's the primary focus of this, of this prayer. It's called, he says that he prayed. as you look at it, it's only right at the end that he actually prays. It's a, uh, Many verses in our, uh, in our Bibles. 20 or so. But it's right at the end that he actually prays. Most of this is all about God, first of all. Who God is, what he is. And then comes the confession bit. And then right at the end he takes what he actually wants to pray about. Is that the pattern of your praying? God, God, God. Thank you, A.D. That was the pattern of our worship this morning. It was all about God. I was ticking off the points. I know I shouldn't have been doing that, but I just noticed, knowing what what the Lord has given me to say, that it was all about God. So Daniel prays in verse 4. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We haven't listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. God, the great and the awesome God. God, the creator. God, the mover in history. And uh, Daniel has some, something to say in his prayer about the exodus. You, Lord, you did this. You worked in history. You worked this out. You held your own people and you began to mold them and to move them and to do with them as you wished. That's the sort of God you are. You're a God who takes a people to yourself. Do you feel that? you and your family, are you aware that through your faith in Jesus, God has laid his hand upon you and you belong to him and he will work with you, not just individually, but as a family, as a congregation, he will work with you in the way he wants and fulfill his purposes. Are you aware of that personal relationship with God individually? And, as a, and have you, do you know too that it's not that you chose God. You didn't, in a sense, say, yes, Jesus, okay, I'll vote for you. He didn't, you didn't choose him. He chose you. That's what Jesus says. You didn't choose me, I chose you, and ordained that you should go and bear fruit. That's the calling of God. A great God. And an awesome God. Uh, The awesomes become a cheap word, hasn't it? Awesome means, and I looked it up, the evocation of total reverence and fear. Total reverence but fear. God is not to be mocked. God is serious in what he thinks and what he does, and God is able to do it. That's the absolute conviction of Daniel. I've seen it. I've stood amongst lions, and somehow their mouths were held shut. I've seen my friends thrown into a fiery furnace. And they didn't even smell of smoke when they came out. He is able to do what he chooses. He's able to do with you and with us as he chooses. And he has a plan and a purpose to do it. Fear him, my friends, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Written by an English poet. Fear him, my friends, and you will then have nothing else to fear. Are you at that place? No, I'm not. But I want to be. My goodness me, I want to be. He's an awesome God. He's a great God. And in the midst of this this. this description of his greatness comes this phrase who keeps his covenant of love gee I, I like that phrase his covenant of love he's so much more awesome than I am he's so much bigger he's so much more powerful than we are and yet he wants to make an agreement with us he wants to talk to us he wants to communicate with us and it is all motivated by love you little worms who crawl upon this little earth i love you i love you say so deeply and this of course daniel couldn't say i love you so deeply that I am prepared to give the life of my son for your salvation, for your company in my kingdom forever. You are infinitely precious to me. Every one of us. And so much so that I'm going to give you promises Promises on which you can stand and bound around in the name of Jesus. The covenant of love is in fact a prophecy of the New Testament. The new covenant. Daniel was saying words way beyond his experience and his understanding. That God himself in his love for us should actually become one of us. To should become one of us precisely that he might experience death. Who wants to experience death? And a painful death that we might know what it is to live and to be forgiven. This great, awesome God who comes to us with a covenant of love, and a covenant is a voluntary thing. He does it because he wants to do it. Whatever he are we, he wants actually our company. He's a righteous God. For seven Lord, you are righteous. Now, what is righteousness? Oh, it 's a word that Christians use, but uh, nobody bothers about it meaning it means to be okay, it means to be just. it means the word "righteous" in Hebrew implies a straight line, an absolutely straight line. There are no edgy sides to God it 's a. Uh, Descriptive of an arrow which swings neither to the left or the right. In this context it might be more relevant to say the ball does not, uh, is not sliced nor is it hooked. You're aiming down the fairway and it's going to go where you want it to go. And that this, this is his righteousness. He is to be trusted absolutely. You can trust God. And the whole point about faith is precisely that. That in a context which is, uh, well, you you don't know which way it's going to go. Where God makes a promise, where God leads and where God commands. It will go where it's intended to go. And particularly so as we read the Old Testament in terms of our relationships, not only with him, but with other people. Because you see, we're meant to reflect as God. The people you work with, the members of your family, the people you play sport with, do they know that you are God? Righteous. Do they know that if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it? Do they know that you seek always that in your relationships with other people to be absolutely honest? I mentioned apartheid a short time ago. It was becoming a Christian which really made me critical of that particular policy. Why do I have this and they don't? Why can I go here and they can't? What have I done in order to acquire this privilege? Answer: Precisely nothing. I and mean, we say this: There is something wrong here. There is something which is not straight. And I think many people have have felt this, have have realized that, that we are given the Spirit of God. And we are given the Spirit of God in order that we may become like God. If that is his personality and character, his longing is that we should reflect it to the people around us. In a righteousness of living and situation which commends him. I believe we ought to commit ourselves to that. And it isn't just a question of apartheid. It, it's a question of how we, how we relate to people in the place where we work. How we relate to the place, people in the places where we live. Where is there something which is not straight, which affects us? And are we seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit in order to to reflect that? What Daniel didn't have, as I said before, he'd never seen God. We have. We've seen God in the person of Jesus Christ. We've heard God and we've seen the consistency between the things he says and the things he does. And the gift of the Holy Spirit to us is to make us like that. It is the work of the Spirit that we should be as Jesus is in the society in which we live. And so Daniel looks at God. And we seek to look at God. Most particularly in his word. Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame. We're moving into the whole confession thing. When we look at God, when we sing about God when we look at him and read about him in the Word, when we see him in the lives of other people. Well, Daniel says, we are covered with shame. Remember the story of Adam and Eve? They heard the Lord moving in the quiet of the evening and they hid themselves. That's what many people are doing hiding themselves, this sensation of shame. And so we, uh, we see how this plays out. The men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We have not been faithful. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Sin is the arrow, not. Hitting where it is intended to go. Sin is that which spoils the perfect. Sin is something which is born within us. I know the modern philosopher doesn't like that, but but that's what the word teaches. But sin is also a matter of decision just as the love of God is a matter of decision. I know I ought not to do this, but for one reason or another, I have chosen to do so. It suits me financially. It suits me in terms of my own convenience. It suits me in terms of my pleasure. I want to do it. So a great deal of our sin is deliberate. God has called us, his, laid his hand upon us that we may reflect him and we say, well, it's inconvenient for me to do so just at the moment or just plain, I don't want to. I want something else. We all know that it is part of our lives. We're all uncomfortable about it. We experience shame. But is that where it ends? Is it just that? Well, for Daniel, it certainly isn't. For Daniel, the necessity is for confession. How often do you actually confess sin in your own private praying at the end of a day as you look through that day and you're aware that that you simply have not been in conformity with what you know is God's will for you Daniel didn't know Jesus But Daniel was well aware that they were in Babylon precisely because they had sinned. They had turned away from God's commands. They had turned away from God himself. They had filled their temples with idols. The temple itself in Jerusalem was full of idols. Your temple, the temple of your faith, the temple of your individuality. How many idols are in it? How many desires that you've not said no to? What relationships do you have which you know are not God's will for you? What things are you putting first? That's more important to me. These questions need to be asked, but they also need to be confessed. Daniel didn't know that the covenant of grace was going to end in pain on a cross. He didn't know the guarantees of forgiveness that our Father God has given to us. But that's what the covenant of love is about. And it is a covenant. It is an agreement between two parties. Between God, Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, has given us promises, but we too come to him. In Jesus Christ to accept the gift of forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, to take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit, to change our lives and to make them like his, to conform us to his will and to his purposes. You know, it's very important that we know what sort of God we are serving. Very important. There have been many gods amongst hu- in humanity over the years of history. And they have created bestialities, cruelty. The kind of God you believe in, the kind of God who you believe lives in you because you have turned to him and given your faith in Jesus, is the kind of person you will become. It's your salvation, it's the salvation of many others. I want just to, to stress, I think, that what we really do need to do is to take confession, such as we find here in Daniel 9, take it seriously and make it part of our lives. We cannot just live with a vague idea that we believe in Jesus. We need to be keeping account of what we're doing in our lives we need to be walking in forgiveness now I want to turn to a psalm which which is going to be put up on that board and uh, I want us all to say the psalm together and to know what we are saying So we don't have to gabble it or say it fast, but to know what we are saying and the claim that God's word has on us us in that psalm. It's there, it is. Now, I've discovered in this new setup we have in in Liberty that that Glenn is tall (laughs) and that I'm standing behind him and I cannot see that Um, So let's remain seated where I think we can all see what is on that board. And I want us to say this psalm together as a congregation. Let's do that. Sorry. Hmm? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin in the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place, you will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not let me be like horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bits and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Do you see the pattern? The pattern of that. The awareness of sin. The discovery that, that there is... There seems to be no progress unless I'm prepared to come and Confess my sin. And when I do, I discover the liberty of of forgiveness. I discover a new experience of the love of God. I discover a, a desire to serve Him and to go with Him. And when I do that, I discover the Lord helping me. You can read that psalm again, you get home, the pattern that goes all the way through of a greater and greater sense. And I will become a witness. I will make him known to others. And I will find a new freedom in my life. And it ended. and It's gone now, but it ended with rejoice. Sing. Our singing here should be a reflection of the fact that we all, all of us, have experienced the liberty that God gives us through the cross of Christ. The covenant of love. Take that phrase, remember it. A covenant of love. I promise. And it's God who says it first. We don't negotiate with God. We don't say, well, Lord, I'll do this and this and this and this if you will receive. It's the other way it's, it's It's God who's saying, I want you. I desire you. I love you. And we who respond to his initiative. This is the kind of God that we come here Sunday by Sunday to worship. This is the God who walks with us every hour of every day of our lives. This is amazing love. And he asks us for response. And he promises further that in that response we will find blessing. We will find the ability to change the life around us and other people's lives, not in negative criticism, but simply because they see Jesus in us. Sing. Rejoice. We're going to remember the cross of Christ. We're going to remember the source of our forgiveness because we're now going to have communion. Um, Who's doing that? So the t- doors are shut now. <laughs> <laughs> they will open. And then I would like you, please, to go and t- take the bread and, and the, the cup and just return to your seats. Please.